0: teaching three to five-year-olds to sing, and so uh, you might uh, thank Dulcy for putting and Katie for putting those things together. It, it's, it's quite an incredible feat, and just so you know, there's more to it than just them singing. They've been spending weeks, actually, practicing these songs, learning these songs, and just hearing my little girls singing about following Jesus has been so precious to me over the last couple of weeks. So, again, thank you to everyone, particularly Dulcie and Katie, who've put hours and hours and hours into making that happen. So if you are still here, you're uh, between the ages of four to fifth grade, you're excused to Kids Club. We've got some more Christmas presentations coming your way, so they're going to keep working on those. So if you are, again, between the ages of four to fifth grade, you're excused. Just for a moment, I want you to imagine that after church today, that we were going to go pick out a Christmas tree together. Now having said that, we have to acknowledge that we all have different thoughts about that, right? Because some of you thought about getting fake trees. And of course, some of you who are more spiritual, love Jesus and Christmas, (laughs) know that we should go pick out a live one, see? And we could jump into this some more, because there are some of us who are committed to Douglas firs, as we should be, and there are some of you who are committed to lesser trees like white pines or Fraser firs or whatever graces your living room. But if we were to go out and buy our tree today, you can only imagine that this process would have to go incredibly smoothly, right? It would be idealistic in every way. For when we arrived at the tree lot, no doubt we would drink hot chocolate. We would hum Christmas carols in a sweet, gentle snowfall. And we would wander around looking at all the different trees until inevitably the Shekinah glory of the Lord would settle perfectly on the perfect tree, which we would take our picture with. Everyone would smile perfectly. We would have no issues, no challenges. It would be the perfect experience, wouldn't it? I mean, this is Christmas, right? Well, i got to confess to you that not not even once, not ever, has it ever gone even remotely close to that when my family has gone looking for a Christmas tree? In fact, I would even venture to confess to you that most of the time it ends up in a fight with somebody saying, just grab a tree and let's go. Because there's just something about this season that causes us to walk into things with great expectations that could never be met. There's something magic about this season, and one of the things about it is our in incredibly unrealistic expectations and whether that starts with christmas trees or goes to christmas photos whether it pushes out to family gatherings that we think will go one way and end up going quite another or whether it's the relationships we have with people or our gift exchanges we often set ourselves up and then act surprised when it all falls apart as it always does How easy is it for us to hope for a white Christmas? And I don't just mean snow, I mean Bing Crosby, right? How easy it is for us to hope for that and forget the realities of the first Christmas when Christ was born. To forget that the world was far from perfect when Christ was born. Or to take the words of Placide Capo, who wrote the poem that then became O Holy Night. Long lay the world in sin and air pining. Now when Placide Capot wrote these words, you have to know he's an avowed atheist charged by the, a bishop in France to pen a poem to become an epic Christmas hymn for them, and it did, right? But for an atheist to look at the world and say, for long lay the world in sin and air pining... That's, that's quite an observation from a guy who, whether he could see it or just pretend to see it, was able to write out that Christ would be the only answer. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time, referring to the time before you knew Christ, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And what Paul does for the Ephesians is to paint a picture without Christ. There is no God. There is no spiritual family. There's no promise of security. There's no promises to cling to. And there is no hope. And it's in that moment that Capote continues to write that he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Christ was born into a failing and hopeless world. Busy with all of the things that life brings you, even in the first century. Christ was born into a world to bring redemption, to bring hope, And to bring salvation. And that's why we look at Him. That's why we worship Him. That's why we honor Him. For the redemption, the hope, and the salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And that's why we celebrate Him and His birth during this Advent season. We are spending these four weeks in December, including Christmas, looking at the Gospel of Luke. And using it as a springboard to look at these characters as Luke introduces us to them. To look into their lives and to dig out some Christmas lessons for us. That we might be attentive to Him. That we would use these conversations to prepare room for Jesus in the midst of everything that this season can be about. That we might hone in on it for what it should be about we are spending these four weeks preparing ourselves for the birth of Christ. We're calling our series Prepare Him Room. A lyric taken from Isaac Watts, hymn, Joy to the World. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And so these four weeks, that is our aim. That every heart From the largest of us to the smallest of us would be taking an intentional step towards preparing room for him to be at work, preparing room for him to move, that we might step into this season with some intentionality, that we might step into this season to allow the space for him to move in our lives and in our families during this busy season. And so we are going to do it by, as we mentioned last week, first, prioritizing Jesus. And we put out three points last week. We want to prioritize Jesus in our lives by choosing for the next four weeks to spend more time in his word. See, we provided a family devotion for you. There's still some around if you didn't get a chance to pick one up. There's a reading plan in there. We'd love to for you to be intentional about digging into God's Word in this season, because it prioritizes Jesus, spending time in His Word. We also want to prioritize Him in our families. Whatever that might look at, like, depending on your family stage, whether that's reading family devotions together, or reading the Christmas story together, whatever it looks like, we want to make christ a priority in our families as according to deuteronomy 6 and we want to prioritize them in our relationships by being intentional about pointing neighbors and co-workers to him by loving them and engaging them and that's purposeful right we want to love our neighbors So that could look like offering somebody cookies, or it could look like offering somebody hot chocolate, or it could look like shoveling somebody's snow. It could look like a lot of things, but we want to be intentional about loving the people that are around us, keeping in mind what I put before you last week, that in Dr. Tom Rayner's research, they found that it is this season more than any other that a person is the most willing to accept an invitation to church. That as you engage the people around you, people start to realize and understand the expectation of Christmas and often the hopelessness that's found in it. So we have the opportunity then to step into that, to fill some of those gaps and to point people to the one who can fulfill and who can grant us salvation and hope and peace. So as we continue in the series looking at these characters in the Gospel of Luke, we are going to enter into the second chapter of Luke. We'll only be here for a moment, but turn with me to Luke chapter 2. The first four verses say this, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, that this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. These are christmasy verses are they not you hear them read every christmas but frankly the beauty of them and I, I want you to hone into this the beauty of them is that they give us historical reference points that add credibility to the verification of the text right there's something about the bible when he writes these luke the doctor pens this out it gives some historical credibility to the text Because you can look back and find extra-biblical, non-religious sources that testify to Caesar Augustus calling for a census. That testify to Quirinius governing Syria. It testifies to the validity of our faith, these details. And Luke continues. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. We could walk through, we could read David's lineage all the way through to Joseph, but we don't have time. And so we come to Joseph, who we are focusing in on this morning. Joseph, this earthly father of Jesus, who somehow, we don't know how, disappears by the time you get to Jesus' ministry, Clearly, he died. We don't know what that looks like, but we know him to be the earthly father of Jesus. These are some of the only pictures of him we have. And it's Joseph who is the one that makes the most clear case for us that any expectation of a smooth and uneventful Christmas is absolutely wishful thinking. So the book of Matthew walks us through the birth account from Joseph's perspective So let's now turn to Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and we'll park here for a couple minutes. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. So let's pause for a second and pick up some cultural tidbits. You see, in that day, Jewish law considered engaged people to be virtually married, that at the point at which... A young man would decide, and probably was an arranged marriage, when the family decides these two are going to get together and he pays a dowry payment for her, they're virtually considered to be married. The exception here is that they now will wait one year. Now the purpose for the year is actually so that the bride's family can testify to her purity. Because if given this year she has a baby, you can then testify she wasn't a pure woman as the family said she was. But if she doesn't, then she is, and the family goes on and they have a happy marriage. Now, you may have wondered this, but according also to the cultural practices of the time, Joseph is probably somewhere between 16 to 18 when this happens, and Mary is more likely to be 13 to 14. Next time you look at a 13 or 14 year old, consider that one. You have some young kids here engaged to be married, waiting so that before they consummate their marriage to testify to her purity. And we should pause for a moment and consider that. Joseph found his wife, he paid a dowry, he had plans. Now, we skip all the way through Joseph's life. We buzz through a lot of it, but consider that for a moment. Joseph had an idea of what his life was going to look like. He'd been apprenticing as a carpenter. He wanted to be a worksman. He had a craft. He had a trade. He was being trained in it. Now he was, had a wife. He would achieved that. He was going to wait his year, and they were going to start living life together. He had plans. He had expectations. He knew what it was going to look like. He knew how he wanted it to go but it didn't go according to plan, did it? Now, the story of Joseph pushes us to the reality that it never goes according to plan. The text continues. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Wait, now she's pregnant. So in that culture, the whole point of the year period was to testify that she wouldn't get pregnant. And so now you've got this year-long wait to verify that she won't be pregnant. And now she turns up pregnant. And if there's one thing that throws a wrench into an engagement in that culture, this is it. And it could have absolutely, entirely, and completely ruined Joseph. Ruined his family Ruined Mary. Ruined her whole family. That's the tension of all of this moment for Joseph. Because at this moment, all he knows is that clearly Mary has committed adultery. A crime to which she could, according to the law, be stoned for. Which gives Joseph three options. He could choose to marry her anyway, which the law would forbid, which her family would not be able to allow. His family would not be able to allow. It would kick him out of society. He would lose all of his social standing and structure that really fairly wouldn't be an option to a man trying to lead a righteous life. He could divorce her publicly, in which case he would go to a judge and have it declared divorce bringing shame upon her, bringing shame upon her family, and potentially him as well. Or he could choose a merciful route and decide to divorce her privately during that time period. All you had to do was write on a piece of paper as a man, I divorce you, and get two people to sign it, authenticate it, hand it to her, and it's done legally. It could have been handled so quietly And the text continues. And her husband Joseph being a just man, another version says he's a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, which suggests that either he has some affinity towards her, as some commentators like to write, or at least minimally he's got a ton of respect for her or for her family, or he's just a loving guy, he resolves to divorce her quietly. So let's pause again. Imagine the pain that's going through this 17-year-old's life. Now, I remember at 17 dating a girl named Kathy and our relationship ending and being totally convinced that the world had ended. And, And that's exactly what this guy's going through, but in a far more extreme variety because Kathy and I, had gone on a couple of dates, Joseph and Mary were engaged. People had already begun to celebrate him. I'm confident his grandparents had already written her name in their family Bible. There's pain in this decision. And we can't skip over that. That Joseph's life is not going according to plan. That every hope he'd had for his life is beginning to fade away. And again, we're caused to consider all of these events that led to this first Christmas when Christ would be born. Plans being broken. Expectations crumbling and pain growing. And yet, and yet, Joseph was not left alone to consider all of this. Consider verse 20. from their sins and that is quite a dream because this isn't an ordinary dream right this isn't like when pierce wakes up in the morning convinced he fought dinosaurs off with his ninja skills something that's radically unrealistic something happens here where joseph is completely convinced that God sent an angel to speak to him in such a convincing way that he now believes, and rightly so, that his betrothed bride has conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they are he is not to be afraid to take her, and that they will bear a son who will be called Jesus, and he will save the people from all of their sins, And I'm not sure which the hardest part to swallow is. Is it go take your bride? Is it that the Holy Spirit impregnated her? Or is it that He's the Messiah? Your own son? Joseph was not alone in his pain. God reached out to him. The Lord was with him and the Lord led him. And we can't miss that fact. Can we? That in the midst of pain, in the midst of crumbling expectations, the Lord is present. The same for Joseph as he is when my family crumbles in tree lots. The Lord is present. Are we attentive? Because Joseph was. He looked to the Lord. He listened to the Lord. Even when he showed up in a dream, And he walked with great confidence in the peace that the Lord brought, in the presence that the Lord brought. And even in the middle of that, we have to at least appreciate that does this make everything easy, simple, and perfect? You're kidding yourself. No! Now Joseph has to walk through the awkwardness and insurity of all of this. Now, can you imagine waking up that morning and facing your parents and going, Hey, Dad, I know we've worked this out right. I'm going to divorce her quietly. But I had a dream. Now, I don't know how your relationship with your dad goes, but I'm not sure my dad would have bought it. Joseph walks out of here and walks with confidence about who the Lord is and about what the Lord is doing despite everything it's going to cost him and all the challenges that are going to be presented in his life, and all the awkwardness and all the pain, he trusted the Lord because the Lord had a plan. And the Lord would use it all. And use it all for His good. When the Lord says, do not be afraid to take her as your wife, as the angel says. Don't be afraid of what people say. Don't be afraid of what people say think don't be afraid of taking in this sinner of a woman don't be afraid of the people who are going to claim adultery for she is conceived by the power of the holy spirit and for you and me to swallow the doctrine of the virgin birth is one thing for joseph it was entirely different and trusting the lord he stepped into the middle of it Trusting in the Lord and the peace that transcends all understanding that Paul puts forth in Philippians 4-7, Paul steps forward. And in verse 24, Seth read this morning, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, And he called his name Jesus. Joseph woke up and he walked forward trusting the Lord. He walked forward doing everything that God commanded him, including, and wait for this for just a second, because if you're a guy, you're going to queue in with me more than you will if you're a lady. right? So he's now married to this girl, taking her into his house, and then they're not going to sleep together. This is an 18-year-old guy. Now with a wife in his house, And they didn't sleep together. Now, if you grew up in a Catholic background, that's an easy idea because they teach the perpetual virginity of of Mary. Hogwash. You mean to tell me that a guy lives with his wife and he's going to never, ever, 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 ever sleep with her? If you believe that, you don't know too many 18-year-old men. Hogwash. But the text says that they didn't sleep together. We trust that. That they had a baby, that his name was Jesus. And then stepping into that, Joseph broke all kinds of traditions by taking her as his wife. By bringing her into his house. Which for the record is why they could later travel together if you ever wondered why they were traveling together. And they had a baby. And they named him Jesus. Jesus. And the midst of all of this pain, all these challenges, all this adversity, they have a baby named Jesus. And you know that baby grew into a man. And that man led a perfect life that you and I could not lead. And that man died on a cross. Dying a death that you and I could not die. And he paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. That we could have a relationship with God the Father. That which the angel had told him. The plan gets carried out in full. Why? Because even through all the pain, God had a plan. And Joseph's obedience and trusting in the Lord helped the plan come To fruition. Jesus was born. So this Advent season. As we prepare him room. I want to urge you to take a lesson from Joseph. Who welcomed interruptions in his life. When his engagement looked like it was going to fall apart. When his pregnant wife moves into his house. And when they have a baby in the least comfortable of all circumstances, Joseph welcomed interruptions. He saw, God put before him that nothing would go before, nothing would go according to the plan. That no one's expectations would be met. In the middle of all of that, Jesus comes into the world. Which begs the question, Why is it when we come to our Christmases, do we anticipate that all of our plans will go as planned? Why is it when we come to our Christmases that we think all of our expectations should be met? And to take a step further into that, we pray as if all of our expectations should be met. As if God wants to give us a smooth, easy path that he's never given anyone else in the history of the world. But I deserve it. My family deserves it. It's Christmas Joseph by some divine intervention welcomed the interruptions in his life that God put before him he welcomed them and he walked through it trusting the Lord friends when we appreciate that this first Christmas by the way which God the Father completely ordained Remember, God could have had His Son come in any season ever. He he could have been born in a condo in Los Angeles if He wanted Him to. He could have given Him everything He wanted, and yet He was born in this situation, and in these circumstances, in the most unideal of situations according to our perspectives, but the perfect ones according to the Father. It might help us to ratchet down some of our expectations when we appreciate this that God actually has a habit of working in the mess that is a habit of showing up and providing in the ways that we don't see coming that he works in this mess that if we will welcome these kind of interruptions we will be more aware and we will not be caught up by the challenges but we'll be made more aware of the opportunities. Now, I don't know if you're a TV watcher, but the most watched new show of the year so far on NBC is a show called This Is Us. I don't know if you've watched it. Don't know if you haven't. It's worth looking at every once in a while. The main storyline of this show shows the two parents, Jack and Rebecca, as they try to guide their three sons. Nothing about their life goes according to plan, but as the illustration unfolds, their dad has this uncanny ability to look into any and every situation and make it better. One of the episodes shows them with this perfect Thanksgiving plan, only to find out everyone hates Thanksgiving, right? All of his children can't stand her mom. He can't stand her mom. It's all about to go, because on the way to their Thanksgiving meal, they pop a tire and end up in a hotel, which becomes this perfect tradition, And I suspect, like this is us, if you lean in to your own family, you've got these stories, right? See, I grew up in a house where every Christmas Eve we had oyster stew. Why? Because like 75 years ago, my great-grandmother and her aunt got snowed in somewhere, and all they had were oysters and milk, so they put oysters and milk in a pot and made oyster stew. So for some reason, 80 years later, as children... All my, we had on Christmas Eve for years was my dad putting oysters and milk in a pot and calling it stew. We had to beg him to do something else. Could we add some flavor? Do we not have oysters always? See, we have these traditions in our families, if we look deep, of people finding in exact opportunities. Places where things are falling apart and yet people rising to the need to raise up to redeem something and we can choose that also one of our favorite memories as kids it was a thanksgiving that we were my whole family was gathered at our house and i had an uncle who didn't show up and nobody knew where he was about three hours later we found out when he showed up that he had stopped about two blocks north of our house parked his car and walked into their house Does he know these people? No. But my uncle walks into their house, assumes this is his family, sits down on their couch, they warmly welcome him, they warmly feed him, and they take care of him before he ever realizes, I'm not related to any of these people. It's those kind of moments that I look at as welcoming the interruptions. You may have seen the story this year where an African-American man in California texts a lady in Arizona saying, hey, what time is Thanksgiving dinner? Having texted the wrong number, the grandma responds, well, I don't know who you are, but we'd sure love to have you. And it made national news. Why? Because she welcomed the interruption. She was willing to step into something that was unideal to say, I don't know who you are. But I want to love you in a way that's meaningful. I want to provide a family to you. And I don't know the rest of the story. I didn't look into it. He could have had another family to go to. But no, he stepped into hers. They welcomed the interruptions. And that's what we want to call us to this season. Is the reality and the perspective to warn you ahead of time That nothing will go according to plan. Nothing will go according to expectations and to look for places and to look for opportunities to step into those. I want to close with Colossians 4. In Colossians 4, Paul concludes his letter to the Colossians by giving him these admonitions. That they be watchful. That they be aware That they seek opportunities. And as we did last week, we will do this week. As Paul gives these admonitions, I will give them to you this morning. That this Advent season, we continue steadfastly in prayer. That we be devoted to prayer. That we be seeking Him always. He also says, pray continuously. That as we pray through this season, Paul writes that we would be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now that's dangerous, right? That you'd pray continuously, being watchful with thanksgiving, which means that you're going to walk through the next several weeks, which tend to be the most stressful in American's life, that you walk through these weeks watchful with thanksgiving. And what that's going to look like as as trials boil up, as things come to the surface, you're watching and going, and I'm supposed to be thankful for that? Are you kidding me? Somebody just puked in my car. I just got a flat tire. The snowstorm came in when it wasn't supposed to come in. I overcooked my turkey. I don't know what it is. But we want to step into this, being watchful with thanksgiving, to give the room for Jesus Christ To be our Savior, to give the room for Jesus Christ to be our Redeemer, not just of our souls, but of our opportunities. That we would live with an uncanny peace, that the people around us would watch us trust Him. We want to be a watchful people with thanksgiving. Because if we do it, if we prepare the room for Him with this kind of watchfulness, We'll enter into the season not with entitlement, but with thanksgiving. So let us be devoted to prayer in every moment of this Advent, looking to give Him thanks for everything. The good, the bad, and the very, very, very challenging. Knowing that He can use it all for His good. Verse 3. And at the same time, pray also for us. That God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison, that I might make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Friends, if we prepare Him room and we lean into this, if we prepare Him room by prioritizing Jesus in our lives by spending time in His Word, if we prepare Him room by prioritizing Jesus in our families by doing devotions and things, if we Prepare Him room by engaging outsiders in a winsome way. We will prepare Him room to open doors for us to declare the mystery of Christ. That this is the season more than any other, that Christians have information that the world needs, that we don't have to enter into the rat race, we don't have to buy the perfect gift, we don't have to have the perfect holiday, we don't have to have the perfect expression, that in fact all of it is sinful, all of it falls short, and Christ is the only thing that will fill the hole that we feel, and none of those things will. Because it's Christ who makes us whole. It's Christ who makes us complete. It's Christ who forgives our sins and pairs our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's Christ who gives us our family through the church. It's about Him. And so we have the opportunity to speak all of those great, completing, whole-filling truths into the lives of the people around us who are struggling to shove all kinds of creative things in the holes in their lives. And it's ruining them. And we have Christ. So Paul admonishes them and I, you, by ending in saying, walk then in in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, So that you might know how to answer each person. Paul says, Walk with wisdom, using your time well, that as we engage. People, as we're around people, that we walk with some wisdom according to God's Word, that we be gracious to them, season it with salt, which means we sprinkle the gospel into our conversations, which means that as you talk to people and engage people, the fact that you know the gospel should be evident, the fact that your life is whole should be evident, the fact that you found completeness in Jesus Christ should be evident, That's the salt we sprinkle our lives with so that it is evident to the people we walk around, they have an uncanny peace. They're walking differently than me. They're approaching this with a different perspective, and the answer is Jesus. Why? Because we have him. Because we know him. And so we point people to Jesus that God would use it for His glory. Friends, as you step into this holiday season, as you prepare Him room, as we look towards the birth of Jesus Christ, let us be a people who prioritize Him and let us be a people that welcome interruptions, knowing full well that it will not go according to plan, and walking into that with thanksgiving and a willingness to see Christ redeem every opportunity for His glory. Let me pray for us. Righteous Father, we thank You for Your Word. For truth comes from Your Word. Father, You've given us Your Holy Word, Your Bible, Father, you provided it to us so that we could know your heart. We could know what you think. And Father, as we step into this really man-made season, Father, where we hang lights and put up trees, none of these things we find in Scripture, they're not, they're not bad. But Father, they're not Christ. Father, would you make us a people who, who doesn't find their hope in any of those things? Father, it can be so easy for any of us to put our hope in the right family gathering or the right gift or the, the right interaction or whatever. Father, may our hope be Christ. And as we walk through this season, may we prioritize Jesus in everything. Father, that this season, more than lots of shopping, more than lots of light watching, more than lots of family gatherings, Father, may this season be about exalting Your Son Jesus And celebrating that into a broken world He came as a baby. And looking forward to Him coming again. Father, we want to celebrate Advent in that way. Celebrating how You came to meet our need and You're coming back to take us home. Amen.